Welcome to the Neon Belly Podcast. It feels crazy to be saying that. It's been a while since I've done one of these. It's been two or three months and not just scuff the vibes, but just in the interest of just kind of being authentic and just putting a little bit out there about me and stuff. You know, on here, I've, I've shared a little bit about myself and we're going to talk today about uh, Hafa Mendez and a little bit about some of the innovations that I think he's brought to the sport, especially leading up into ADCC and talking a little bit about Colabate uh, from AOJ as well. I've just had a crazy summer and it just goes to show how, how wild life is and how quick things can just change on you. Uh, I think the last episode that I did was leading up to, or it was right after Ty Rotolo versus Gary Tonin. And then just within like a week or two after that, my dog passed away. And then less than two weeks after that, my uh, mother got diagnosed with really bad stage four cancer that's metastasized and is all over the place. So, you know, I've been really busy with a lot of family stuff and um, helping things out, you know, with my mom and dealing with losing my dog and stuff. So it's just been like a crazy summer and I just haven't really been in the best headspace to want to do many of these. But uh, despite everything that's going on, you know, even like the hard times of life don't always have to be all terrible. And even though I do have a lot of rough stuff going on, you know, I'm, I'm at a really awesome gym where I have a lot of really you know, great friends and a lot of support up there. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, loving friends just in the area. And, and so there's a lot of stuff recently that's been, that's been going positive. And and I decided that I wanted to kind of get cracking at this podcast again, especially with ADCC coming up next weekend, which is, you know, my favorite tournament in all of combat sports. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about it. I, I knew that there was a video Um, coming out and I'll link a video in the in the description of this podcast that had to do with Hafa Mendez and Colabate and the 66 kilogram division uh, by more improved uh, on YouTube and they have a fantastic channel and I just I was already wanting to do this podcast about Hafa Mendez and so I thought the timing would be really cool so I got some notes I had the opportunity if you don't know who Hafa Mendez is he's a, a legendary grappler probably the greatest featherweight of all time. He's a six-time world champion in the Gi, and at ADCC, he's the youngest uh, champion to win ADCC, and he repeated. He won twice in a row in 2009 and 2011, and then in 2013, he got second place, lost a referee decision in the finals to Cobrinha, and then he sort of retired from the sport at a young age. He got a whole lot done in a short amount of time and then just kind of walked away. And he did a lot, I think, for the no-gi space and the no-gi scene that just doesn't get a ton of credit. And also, he just did a lot of unique things that I still don't think I've seen done. He just does a lot of really interesting movements and a lot of really interesting techniques. And I've never really seen anyone kind of move exactly like him. You know, if you you can type his name into YouTube and you'll see tons of highlights and it almost looks like someone's doing a different sport than the rest of us. He just has like really precise, really clean, agile footwork and movement. And uh, so I have a lot of notes here over the years. Um, I did a couple of private lessons with Hoffa. Uh, 
In the early and mid-2010s, I've rolled with him a handful of times, and one of my best friends, Gil, that owns the Jiu-Jitsu Institute, he um, is a black belt under the Mendez brothers and has some cool insights as well. He trained out there with them for a long time. So, uh, and, and I see some of these same attributes in Kola Bate that I saw in Hoffa. Like, Kola's one of the first people I've seen that... You know, when he moves around, especially like his guard passing and stuff in his top game, he actually looks a lot like Hoffa. So it's really cool. And I'm really curious to see what he can do at ADCC next weekend. If Cole wins, Cole will be the youngest person to ever do it. So he would sort of beat Hoffa's record and keep that in like the family, keep that in the gym and they could sort of continue that record. So that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines going into ADCC and if somebody had you know well Cole is definitely I feel like he's going to be a top four seed he he won the um, East Coast Trials and yeah he's just a phenomenal grappler you would never believe that he's like 16 or 17 years old I think he might be 17 I'm not entirely sure but um, I will link some videos in the description of this podcast where you can watch Cole but some big things I noticed going through Hoffa's ADCC matches and some of these notes is that Hoffa was one of the first people without the gi that I really saw playing a lot of reverse De La Hiva from the bottom and inverting in between the legs for that dragon kiss, kiss of the dragon kind of position. And that wasn't super common at the time where I really kind of first got into the sport. ADCC 2009, I know that's forever ago, but it was the first event that I kind of saw that was streamed live on the internet for jiu-jitsu and I didn't know who Hoffa Mendez was and I saw him tear through the division he submitted everybody um on the way to the finals and then had sort of like this epic match with Cobrinha who would be his rival and had a bunch of like deep submission attempts uh in that match anaconda chokes darts chokes heel hooks it was a really cool match, and uh, Hoffa ended up taking the back, and he sort of came up, you know, through the middle, and he did that against Leo Vieira, that inverting through the legs, and at the time, a lot of people from the bottom position, they were arm dragging and going around to take the back, and Hoffa was kind of getting underneath people through the middle of their legs and coming up onto body locks, seat belts, which was just... It was really new. Terra was doing it. Cabrinha was doing it. But Hoffa was definitely one of the few people doing it. And that tournament was kind of the first time I ever saw that at an ADCC. I had seen ADCC highlights of previous years, but had just never seen anybody quite as razor sharp with that as him. And on top, I just remember Marcelo Garcia was sort of the no-gi guy to watch. And he was either knee slicing or forcing half guard to pass. And Hoffa wasn't really doing either one of those things. He was just always leg dragging and staying on the outside. And every opportunity he had where I would think, this is where you knee slice pass. This is where you drive the knee in. Or this is where you force chest to chest half guard. He just wasn't really doing that. He would just continue to stay on the outside and leg drag and, and pass towards the back. And if you have a Flow Grappling account and you watch his match with Hobson Mora at ADCC 2011, that was one of the matches I watched to kind of prep for this podcast, you can see just like that relentless leg drag passing style until he finally, you know, gets the pass and then starts, you know, attacking the submission. So Hoffa was also super unique because 
he has an incredibly high submission rate, but he wasn't a leg locker. He was kind of more of that position before submission sort of mentality. Um, but he still sort of expanded that to be a little bit more expansive than uh, what some of the super old school people thought. So a lot of super old school people were like, okay, you have to pass the guard fully before you try a submission. And Hoffa would do things like he would kind of, you know, if he got snared up in half guard, he would grab the head and arm and just kind of roll through the guard and keep that front headlock position and then use his legs to trap the arm and then either go like anaconda choke, darce choke, guillotine choke. That was something that you didn't really see before him. Um, same kind of thing with that rolling Kimura. He wasn't the first person to do the, the rolling Kimura trap style, but he would kind of keep that Kimura grip and not just go for the Kimura shoulder lock. He would use that grip to take the back or or go for the arm lock instead or go for the triangle. And I know these are like a lot of things that are considered super basic jujitsu here in 2022, but, you know, at the turn of the of 2010... You know, at the turn of the last decade, some of that stuff was just really, really advanced. And this was an era when these guys would come and do seminars. They wouldn't let people film anything, you know, so you would see people with pad and paper. I mean, people weren't even like taking notes on the phone because um, the first Mendez Bros seminar I was at and a Kyle Terra seminar, too. I think a couple of people were trying to take notes on the phone and they were like, no, like we just put the phone away, you know, so it was, I don't know, it was a different time. The internet hadn't really blown up for jujitsu like it has now. And there weren't training websites like there are now. And information was just like a lot more secretive and kind of held on to. And these were people that were like young and coming up and on the competitive scene and trying to keep as much of an edge as they could without spilling all the you know they they knew they had to do seminars and make money because at the time these people didn't own schools yet but so they had to give out some information but they didn't want to spill the beans on everything and I remember there would be talks of like oh do you think they really showed everything that they know and did they show something wrong on purpose or did they leave out some details and that was just kind of all interesting stuff that would happen um on Facebook and message boards and stuff people would post their notes from seminars and people would swap notes and try to figure stuff out and um I, I kind of wanted to focus mostly on Nogi because of ADCC coming up but I also just remember the Baron Bolo was sort of the big movement that the Mendez brothers popularized and brought onto the scene and there used to be just a couple YouTube videos of you know, a Barambolo in practice, like Hoffa doing a Barambolo in a red gi. I'll try to put that, that video in the notes. And I just remember like sitting around the mats with people just running that video back like four or five times. And we were trying to just copy the video. And that video made the rounds on social media and everybody was just talking about their tips for how to do it. And it was just so different. It was, again, you know, cave person times compared to how it is now but it was kind of fun to be a part of that and I remember you know doing some Q&A some of these some of these notes I'm looking at with Hoffa a few things that just stand out that seem kind of strange now are the rear naked choke is is a big one um 
I think Hoffa's actually changed his mind on this. Uh, but early on, the first seminar I went to with him in 2012 at the Q&A, I have on the notes here that he said on the rear naked choke, he really liked to put his hand on top of the head instead of behind the head, which is sort of like we get taught never to put the hand on top of the head. But he said he really liked to put the hand on top of the head and cover it with his chin and then push their head down into the choking arm, which is instead of like isometric squeeze on the rear naked choke that we kind of think of. So that really stood out here looking at these notes. The triangle choke, I have some notes on here of staying square to the person instead of getting the angle to attack the trapped arm instead of actually really trying to do the, the triangle choke. So I thought that was interesting. I have on these notes here that um, especially for the uh, the guillotine, the anaconda, the darse, and the arm triangle, he talked about really trying to make those chokes painful. So some people really talk about just having a super clean blood choke that doesn't hurt that much. And Hoffa was kind of the opposite. And it's it's really interesting if you've seen his jujitsu because he has this super precise, clean, buttery looking, smooth jujitsu. But then he also is really big into making chokes kind of dig into the neck and making them super painful on top of just having them, you know, cut off the, the carotids. Um, so that's a big note I have down here. I have down here in, in the nogi he said he prefers to, even if he's still passing outside the legs with the leg drag position and the side to side loose passing, he still likes to have either a posture where he's on both knees or squatting very low on both feet to make it more difficult for the bottom player to invert underneath him. So on these notes, it says, you know, they can't, there, there isn't a collar you can grab onto as the guard passer without the gi. So if you have the collar, you can stiff arm and make it difficult for the person to get underneath you. But without that, that, that low posture he thought was important. Or if you're going to pass standing to be really good at high stepping out, you know, bringing your knee to your chest to, to step out of leg entanglements or inversions to pass through the guard and that's just really cool because we're starting to see that now a lot with, you know, um, like Gordon Ryan and Nikki Ryan and Damian Anderson and Craig Jones. We're seeing a lot of like high step guard passing. And I think it's cool that um, on these notes as far back as like 2015 and 2012, I have stuff of Hoffa doing those high steps. So super interesting stuff from the top game there. I have down here that talks about almost never really thinking he's going to pass the guard on the first try. So this is like in the context of leg drag passing, but, you know, Hoffa would say here, it's the second leg drag or the third leg drag where I'm going to actually get the pass. The first one is just, you know, to give them a good look and then they high leg over and lift the hips up and then I go to the other side and try to drag on that side. I get a little bit closer to passing and then they get they hip up again, high leg over, and then on that third leg drag, you actually finish the pass. So it's actually real similar to the idea of like a pressure pass where you're slowly eating up the space, but he just did it with footwork and side-to-side -side movement. So people call that loose passing now, but it's still, 
it's still a form of pressure passing, um, as he explained it. And, um, I just think that's interesting. Like not, not a pass isn't worthless just because it doesn't work the first time you try it. You know, if it takes three or four attempts, it still worked. It's just everything that you did prior was leading up to that one that actually got the job done. And that's a, that's kind of one of the bigger things that I took away, um, from these notes here, uh, I touched a little bit on that rolling front headlock position, but that, I mean, he shredded with that at his first ADCC. Uh, I had never seen anybody use the leg to trap the arm like that to make those head and arm chokes deeper. Um, he definitely brought that to the mainstream and probably has the best anaconda choke of, of all time. You know, there's videos that you can see. I'll link some in this podcast description of him you know, submitting Andre Galvao with that in training and almost submitting Cabrinha in, in competition. And I think tapping like Jake Shields with that and Cola Bate and other really, really awesome people with that um, anaconda choke of his. And, you know, as far as leg locks go, I have some notes on here too. And I don't remember specifically at these seminars what leg lock stuff was shown just because it was a long time ago but I remember that Hoffa Mendez and his brother Guy both said that they thought leg locks were very underutilized and that they were really really important for any sort of no gi game plan and I went back because you know flow grappling they just got all this old ADCC footage added to their website and I watched some of these old Hoffa matches and he's doing more leg entanglements than I thought he did. I kind of thought that he was just like a reverse De La Hiva guy in terms of playing guard, but in some of these old matches, he's, you know, reaping the leg, going for these outside heel hooks, and then he's either clamping on the heel to try to finish that heel hook, or more often, when they turn the back to try to spin out of the heel hook, he's coming up on top and using that as an opportunity to either wrestle through or take the back and that's really cool to see because that's like a strategy that's super common now. Everybody defends leg locks really well, so it's really smart to use those leg locks to wrestle, come on top, take the back. And Hoffa was, you know, definitely on top. Um, on the notes here, I have his match with Justin Rader from 2009. That's sort of how he gets on top, like almost immediately in the match. Um, I think I have down here that he did maybe the same thing in his match with Leo Vieira as well uh, in the semifinals, which is definitely one to watch if you have access to, to those matches. If you have an account on AOJ+, Plus, which is the Mendez Brothers online training website, they actually have some really cool footage right now of Colabate training for ADCC, and you get a really cool glimpse into sort of the coaching philosophy, you get to hear like Hoffa Mendez and Guy Mendez coaching Cole from the sidelines. They have a lot of footage of Hoffa drilling with Cole Abate and, and them rolling together. And one position that I definitely didn't see Hoffa play very much was the false reap position. Um, that's a, a new thing that's going around. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard of it. But that's something I see Colabate do all the time. And on this AOJ Plus, he even has a short sort of instructional on it and a bunch of narrated rolling footage of him uh, 
talking over rolling footage of him hitting the false reap to that inside heel hook on people. And that's, that's a position that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit newer. It's been around longer than people think. I saw Keenan Cornelius using it back in 2013 and there's a role with Hoffa Mendez staying on topic that I can link between Hoffa and Keenan where Keenan's playing that position on Hoffa and, and it's really cool to see it used back that far ago and it's even cooler to see it kind of come full circle and Colabate reminds me of like of like a Hoffa Mendez with a you know I I don't want to say like a new and improved Hoffa but just a Hoffa Mendez style game that has a more robust leg like game incorporated into his style and I I really think that that could be like a winning ticket for him um, in that 66 kilogram division. Uh, just talking about the 66 kilogram division in general, I think, you know, uh, I had, you know, Keith Krikorian, Colabate, and Kennedy Masael as my three favorites before Gary Tonin dropped down to 66 kilograms. Um, now that Gary's in the division, I think I might have. Gary is my favorite to win the division, but right behind Gary is like pretty much a three-way tie between, you know, Cole Abate, Keith Gregorian, and Kennedy Masael, um, who's Cabrinha's son. Um, this episode was mostly about Hoffa, and it it feels like I can't I can't close it out without talking about Cabrinha and Kennedy. Uh, Cabrinha was Hoffa's main rival, both in the gi and in Nogi, and in Hoffa's first two ADCCs where he got those back-to-back gold medals, he beat Cobrinha in the finals of both of those, and in his third final, that one where he lost that referee decision, that was also to Cobrinha, and then once Hoffa retired, Cobrinha kind of took over his spot as the king of featherweight at that at that weight class, so that 66 kilograms, Cobrinha won in 2013, 2015, in 2017 and then he retired from the sport to let his son kind of take the spot and Kennedy had a great showcase in 2019 and I think he's being overlooked a little bit going into this year he's not I don't know if it's because there's less footage of him or if he's done less super fights or less events going into the event but Kennedy is is absolutely ferocious and I think seeing like Colabate versus Kennedy would be like this really cool kind of spiritual successor to seeing Hafa Mendez versus Cobrinha. You know, it's like both of their proteges going against each other. That would be a really fun storyline to watch, I think. Let me look at these notes one more time before I close things off. Um yeah, this is interesting here. Uh, I have Hafa Mendez as famous as he was for the Baron Bolo, he told us in 2015 at this seminar that he thought that the Baron Bolo and De La Hiva in Nogi was incredibly difficult to play and that he just kind of advocated for the reverse De La Hiva inside spin instead of sort of that outside Baron Bolo spin to the back or the crab ride. And it's kind of funny hearing that from him because he's such... He's like the Baron Bolo king. And then on top of that, 
in 2022, we actually do see a ton of people playing De La Hiva without the Gi and Crab Ride and actually, you know, full Barambolo and not just going to the inside. Look at the Meow Brothers. Look at Lachlan Giles. Look at Mikey Musumeci. Like, these are uh, people that have all really mastered those kind of movements. And it's just kind of cool to, again, look back at these notes and kind of see the progression of Nogi. I'm sure if you asked Hoffa Mendez that now, he would probably think that the Barambolo worked just great in Nogi. So it is interesting to see how, like, opinions change over time. One interesting thing I have here on the notes is that Hoffa says that he thinks arm in chokes are easier than arm out chokes. So he was saying that he really preferred like the anaconda choke and, and the Darce choke to like guillotine chokes. Um, but you know, funny enough, when we asked him about the guillotine, he wasn't like a big fan of the arm in guillotine. So I would, I would kind of think if he liked arm in chokes more, he might like the arm in guillotine more, but for that guillotine, he, he really liked the no-arm guillotine, leaving that arm out of the equation and almost getting like a chin strap grip and almost doing like a sideways, going back to that pain element. He kind of threw like a neck crank. Um, he would get it a lot from a standing position, like if somebody got a single leg on him and he would just drop to his butt and overhead sweep him with the shin up the middle and kind of come to like sort of a mounted position and then drop down to one hip and hook that heel behind the hip and do like a big sideways arch and just kind of shear the head sideways along with bringing the chin to the chest and it's just a super vicious guillotine um again check the video notes and i'll put a, a link to sort of an instructional he has on that but just super smooth super smooth grappler one of the smoothest of all time and just you know, he does get credit for winning ADCC and being the youngest person to do it at 19 years old, I believe. But he, I don't think he gets quite enough credit for some of the, the, the techniques that, that he did. And I think maybe, you know, if he had been on the scene, um, on the Nogi scene a little bit more, you know, maybe he would have been a little bit more appreciated in that regard. I have on the notes here uh, for the podcast that he was going to do one of the EBI events, but you know, something about that fell through at the last minute. Um, I lost a little bit of audio right there, but things are starting to meander a little bit anyways, and I got to find my stride with this podcast again. This is the first thing I've, you know, recorded in a few months. So the last thing I have on my notes here that I just thought was kind of cool to put this out there because both these guys are retired. I remember Marcelo was asked, or Hoffa Mendez was asked how he thought he would do against Marcelo Garcia in an ADCC match, and he said he thought that uh, he said he thought that he would do really well stylistically. And that's a match that I'd really, really, really love to see. So I thank everybody for being patient. I've gotten messages in the past few months that have still, you know, just had people saying that they like the podcast or that they wanted to hear more episodes and. You know, I know I've left people hanging for a long time and, you know, I, yeah, I, I definitely won't leave people hanging anymore. So I'm going to get my stride back with this thing. And I really appreciate all the support. Uh, you know, anybody that I see regularly, you mean the world to me and, you know, anybody that's ever sent me like a nice message or, or anything at all, you mean the world to me too. So I need as much 
positivity as I can get right now. And I'm definitely feeling a lot of that as well. So I'm super grateful to everybody out there. Just want to send a lot of love. And um, yeah, we'll have a really fun week next week getting ready for uh, for ADCC. Should be a super fun tournament. And if you're listening to this and you watch it, I hope you really, really enjoy it. And uh, I'm going to try to drop another episode or so between now and then. So thanks so much. Much love to everybody and uh, have a great week. Peace.